freedom of conscience and religion is being challenged by laws and regulations imposed by secular society. It's time to hear from the top Christian litigators in the nation who have come forward to tell us the truth and help us defend our faith. Hear ye, hear ye. All rise. Faith on trial with Defender of the Faith, Deacon Mike Mano is in session. And good Thursday morning from the Iowa Catholic Radio Studios in West Des Moines, Iowa. I'm Deacon Mike Mano. This is with Gina No, and this is Faith on Trial. How are you, Gina? I'm doing well, Deacon Mike. Yeah. It's a good morning. I see you got your Drake University t-shirt or sweatshirt on. You know, it's college uh, football season, so, you know, I I sport my alma mater. Good, good, that's good. I very rarely get to anything over there, except maybe once in a while basketball game. Yeah, once in a while basketball game. Girls basketball, actually, to be honest with you. Well, they have a nice little place for it there. Yeah, uh, and they're usually very, um, very good. Yeah, 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 it's very good basketball. So anyway... Go ahead. Tell us about our show today. Oh, we're going to we're going to be talking with uh, 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 John Malcolm. Malcolm. I'm trying to. Re- I know. I still problems with reading. Yeah, he's uh, with the Heritage Foundation. He's vice yeah, president had him. for constitutional government. We've had him before. Oh, we have. A uh, long time ago, and remember, he was being appointed to something by the uh, uh, Trump administration, and we had to dig out the old tape for the FBI to review, see that he wasn't at a school board meeting or something <laughs> and uh, for his appointment. Yeah, why they were doing that. Unbelievable. Yeah, it was a long time ago. I was in the old studio, the old little dungeon that we had. And uh, so we're going to talk that to him. That was a long time ago. That was a long time ago. We're going to talk okay. to him. And he has a uh, an article out that you can find on the Heritage uh, Foundation website about the nine key cases that are uh, scheduled for hearing by the Supreme Court this next term. And so we're going to talk to him about a couple of those that have bearing on what we're doing. Uh, that'll be good. I know um, we can hardly keep up these days with all of the attacks by um, the administration and the legal proceedings against people of faith. And mm-hmm. um, so I, I like the idea that today we start with the top nine uh, Supreme Court cases coming up in this next session. And very when few, did they come back to very court? Very the, the first Monday in October. Okay. Yeah, so they'll so be next week. They'll be in. very soon. Yeah, we're getting, and, and we're going to be uh, attacked uh, from all angles, as we're finding out. And uh, there's, uh, there's going to be more cases that are going to come up other than these nine. But we know these nine are already locked in. They usually, most of them, I think, have a date certain where they're going to have their oral argument. So that's going to be kind of interesting. We'll talk with him in just a minute. And uh, do you have a prayer to open us up with? I do have a prayer. It's a prayer for peace today. Um, I actually need to find the words here. <laughs> Sorry. Don't uh, ask me to find them. I <laughs> the, the prayer comes from um, our Pope Benedict. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and here we go. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. God of peace, bring your peace to our violent world. Peace in the hearts of all men and women and peace among the nations of this earth. Turn your way of love to those whose hearts and minds are consumed with hatred. Strengthen us in hope and give us the wisdom and courage to work tirelessly for a world where true peace and love reign among the nations and in the hearts of all. Amen. Amen. Thank you very much, Gina. And we will be right back after these messages with John Malcolm from the Heritage Foundation. Support for Iowa Catholic Radio provided by Divine Treasures, a Catholic book and gift store serving the Des Moines community since 1992. Divine Treasures, 5701 Hickman Road, Des Moines, 515-255-5230. Thank you, Divine Treasures, for your support of Iowa Catholic Radio. 
Support for Iowa Catholic Radio, funded by Loris College, an innovator and leader in Catholic liberal arts education located in Dubuque. Dedicated to integrating the Catholic intellectual tradition throughout the curriculum, Loris College transforms students as active learners, reflective thinkers, ethical decision makers, and responsible contributors within our communities. Named the fifth best baccalaureate college in the nation by Washington Monthly, Loris College invests in graduate and undergraduate students to achieve a bright future. Learn more at loris.edu. That's loris.edu. Support for Iowa Catholic Radio provided by Paul Martin and Paul Mitchell, owners of Imogene Ingredients. Imogene Ingredients supply specialized feed ingredients for livestock and pet diets to improve maternal and young animal health in both conventional and organic production. And we're back. You're listening to Faith on Trial on Iowa Catholic Radio. And with us right now is John Malcolm, who is with the Heritage Foundation. He's vice president of governmental uh, of constitutional government. John, good morning this morning. Hi, it's good to be with you. Thank you very much. This is, It's been a long time since we've had you on. We are just talking about that. Uh, I was talking with Gina here. Uh, it's been quite some time since we've had you on, but uh, we're glad you're back, and we'll try and treat you quite, uh, kindly so you come back again, okay? <laughs> you wrote an article about the nine key cases that are coming up before the Supreme Court. Now, not all of those have anything to do necessarily with religious liberty or that, but as we know... Uh, cases that don't appear to have anything to do with religious liberty sometimes do. And I uh, point out the case that uh, we had uh, last term, the end of last term, the West Virginia case uh, versus the EPA, that right. uh, was a big case, didn't have anything necessarily to do with uh, religious liberty, but it's going to have an impact on the way administrative agencies conduct their affairs, which you know in- involves religious liberty in many cases. Yeah, no, that, that's certainly true. Just ask the Little Sisters of the Poor, for instance, <laughs> about, yeah. about that, yes. So administrative agencies issue uh, rulings that definitely impact on people's ability to freely exercise their religion. And so, yeah, West Virginia versus EPA was, a, was certainly a big, uh, big case there. And there is one case that is on the court's docket already, I, I hasten to add. They've decided to hear 25 cases, but ultimately they will they will hear about 65 cases. So they still have a lot more cases to add to their docket, and some of those cases may involve religious liberty. But there is one very important case that involves religious liberty, uh, and that is a case out of Colorado. It's 303 Creative versus Alanis, and this really picks up on a case from a few years ago involving uh, Jack Phillips, a, a baker in Lakewood, Colorado, who owns Masterpiece cake shop, you may recall that uh, a same-sex couple came to him and wanted him to custom bake a cake to celebrate their nuptials. And he said, look, I will bake a cake for you for any other occasion, uh, but I, I'm not going to do this for your wedding because it violates the, you know, the tenets of my sincerely held religious beliefs. Uh, there is a Colorado law that says that you know, places of public accommodation cannot uh, discriminate on the basis of, uh, of you know, sexual orientation. Uh, and Jack Phillips, you know, had a hearing before the Colorado Civil Rights Commission, which ruled against him. And he challenged this and went to the Supreme Court uh, and said that this law violated his rights to free ex- the free exercise clause of the First Amendment. The Supreme Court in that case ducked the issue pretty much by saying, well, we're not going to reach that issue because we have looked at this record and determined that this Colorado Civil Rights Commission that heard your case had a bias against your religion, and at the very least, you were entitled to have a hearing before a neutral, non, uh, you know, an objective uh, tribunal, which you were deprived of. 
This case involves a woman named Lori Smith. She's a graphic designer. She also runs a graphic design business in Colorado, and she wants to design, expand her business to do websites for weddings. But for the same reason as Jack Phillips, she says, I I just can't do this for same-sex weddings because it violates uh, my sincerely held religious beliefs. The same law was applied to her. The same commission has, has ruled against her. The Supreme Court has decided to take up her case, but they are not going to consider whether this violates her free exercise rights. Instead, they are going to decide whether or not this violates her free speech rights under the First Amendment. She claims that they are violating her free speech rights in two different ways. One, by having her tacitly give approval uh, to this wedding by designing a website for the wedding, so compelling her to make a statement that she does not wish to make. And she also wishes to put on her on her firm's website uh, a statement as to why she will not design a website for same-sex weddings, and the Colorado law prevents her from doing that. So she believes that her first her free speech rights are being argued by a message she is being compelled to deliver and by prohibiting her from conveying a message that she wishes to deliver. And I think the court will finally reach the merits of this very important claim. And even though it will be decided on free speech grounds, it will obviously have real repercussions because religious speech is, after all, a form of speech. Right. And that's an argument that we've been making a lot around here is that free speech rights are really religious rights, too, because you can't evangelize if you don't have free speech rights. Mm -hmm. And I'm glad to hear this case has finally percolated up to the Supreme Court. This one went faster, I think, than the uh, the previous cake case. Right. Um, it'll be important for, for for all artists. I mean, I think there's some more cases around the country with the same issue. Yeah, there are a lot of people that would like to uh, express their uh, opinion about uh, religion that can't do that right now mm-hmm. or are afraid to do it, and that's the problem. Let's go back to Jack Phillips for a minute because Jack yeah. Phillips— uh, went back to uh, his cake baking, and uh, he was uh, cited again because he wouldn't bake a uh, a cake for a person's transition from male to female. Right, right. I'm not quite sure where that where yeah. that lies, but yes, there was somebody. In the, they just <laughs> it, the, the people who were trying to advance the LGBT agenda. I mean, there are lots of bakers out there who can make very lovely right. custom cakes to celebrate whatever. Same and, thing, there are lots of graphic designers who will design a web page, uh, but you know, they're not content to live and let live uh, and, and to go down the street to another baker who, by the way, could probably gain a competitive advantage by hanging a rainbow flag yeah. outside their bakery. Yeah, we've seen that design. happen before. Uh, There's cases where people have already got their cake baked by somebody else. There's still uh, file complaints against the original baker that said no. I think it's an issue of compelling speech. Mm-hmm. You know, we want you to to um, recite our mantra, capitulate or else, and deny your faith. And I think um, I think that's what's at the root of all of this. I mean, Melissa with Sweet Cakes. Did we talk about that last week? Mm-hmm. She's being um, that their bakery is still under attack, even though they left the state. Yeah, yeah, they're back up to the court again now. So we'll see how that comes out too. Yeah, it's very strange too to to, to sit there and say that somehow somebody's civil right trumps somebody else's constitutional rights. Constitution that's the supreme law of the land, not an anti-discrimination law. And I actually think that the Supreme Court is going to rule in favor of Lori Smith, but we will we will see. That I is think so one too. of many cases that I'm still following, but it, that one does definitely does have religious overtones. Yeah, yeah that is an interesting one. All right, let's, uh, let's take a couple of these others. One, the first one 
uh, or the first two that I was looking at here are these cases against uh, Harvard and against, yeah. uh, what is it, University of North University Carolina? University of North Carolina, mm-hmm. yeah. So the challengers in both of these cases is a, a nonprofit group that represents students and parents and, and other interested parties at these two universities called Students for Fair Admissions. And in both of these cases, they're asking, it has to do with racial preferences in school admissions policies, and they are asking the Supreme Court to overturn it. 2003 decision in Grutter versus Bollinger, in which the Supreme Court upheld the University of Michigan Law School's racial preferences admissions policy, saying that there was a compelling interest in having a diverse student body and that you could advance that compelling interest so long as uh, whatever the plan was was applied in a holistic fashion. It wasn't a de facto quota uh, system. Uh, you know, the, the, and and what the challengers here are asserting is that, you know, let's call a spade a spade. All of these admissions policies are de facto quota systems. The reason you have Harvard College, which is a private university, which is being sued for violating Title VI of the Civil Rights Act, which basically says if the school receives federal funds of any kind, they can't discriminate. Uh, on a variety of bases, including based on race. University of North Carolina is a public university. They are being sued, saying that their admissions policy violates the 14th Amendment, the Equal Protection Clause of the 14th Amendment. And the challengers have produced some very compelling data. So, for instance, they produced data that said if you're an Asian American with a 25 percent chance of getting admitted to Harvard College, if you were white, your chances rise to 35 percent. If you were Hispanic, your chances rise to 75 percent. If you're black, your chances are at 95 percent. They point out that if you are in the fourth out of five quintiles, so somewhere between the 60 percent and 80 percent of your class standing, if you're an Asian American, you have virtually no chance of getting admitted to Harvard, less than 1 percent chance. If you are in that same decile and you are black, you have a higher chance of getting into Harvard than Asians who are in the top 10 percent or I'm sorry, top 20 percent of of applicants. So this is a very heavy thumb on the scale benefiting uh, African-American applicants very much to the detriment of Asian-American applicants. You know, in in the famous case Plessy versus Ferguson, infamous case, it's separate but equal was constitutional. Uh, The sole dissenter, John Marshall Harlan, said, you know, that our, our Constitution is colorblind uh, and it shows no preferences uh, or tolerates any kind of racial considerations. That dissent was vindicated in Brown versus Board of Education, but was very much undermined, I believe, by the Grutter case. Uh, and I think there's a very, very decent chance that the Supreme Court will overturn Grutter uh, and will pick up what, what Chief Justice Roberts said in another case called Parents Involved, he said uh, the way to stop discrimination on the basis of race is to stop discriminating on the basis of race. Uh, so we will see how those two cases come out. But obviously, a lot of people are following those cases. So th- this case is based on something that in the past, more recent history anyway, where we've legislated that preferential treatment needs to be given to certain races in this election. And um, in fact, just last night, I was um, helping my daughter fill out her common app for her college applications. And I mean, race is one of the questions on there. Is there a chance that race could be eliminated from the equation altogether? Yes. Now, (laughs) these colleges are going to, you know, 
go to their graves trying to defend racial preferences. So they'll come up with other types of schemes to try to hide what they're doing. They'll eliminate, for instance, accepting standardized test scores because African-American applicants don't score as well on these standardized tests for the most part uh, as Asian-American applicants. As a group, obviously, there's some very outstanding black applicants who would be admitted anywhere under any circumstances because they're just outstanding students. We're talking about on average. Uh, So, yes, I think these, these schools will try other measures to uh, try to maintain a racial balance as they see fit uh, at their at their respective universities, but they will not have the stamp of approval of the Supreme Court, and they will have to engage in some kind of a ruse to get around what the Constitution is supposed to provide, which is a colorblind admissions policy. Yeah, it would be interesting if they were asked to apply the same standards to their basketball team. <laughs> well, yes, we yeah. know how that would come out. <laughs> <Yeah>. but, <laughs> Unwatchable sport is how that would come out. <laughs> but uh, what we have also in this is there's a there's a, a rise in the awareness of, uh, of a- a discriminations against Asians because there's been a number of Asian hate crimes lately and things like that that I think are, we may see more of this uh, from at least the Asian community in, in the near future. Well, they took a policy. Oh, that would be terrible, but I, let's hope that isn't the case, yeah. but I right. suppose it's possible. I mean, they took a um, a policy that was implemented to provide fairness and more uh, accessibility and turned it into something that it never was meant to be. Right. 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 Okay. There's another case I wanted to talk about a little bit that uh, I think harkens back to the last election, and that's this... Uh, uh, Moore versus... Moore versus yeah, out of North Carolina. Right. right. It, it, it was Moore versus Harper, uh, and it is a very, very significant case. So after the last census, the conservative North Carolina legislature drew a congressional map. That map was tossed out by the liberal North Carolina Supreme Court, uh, which said that it is a re- was a result of partisan gerrymandering and violated the state's Constitution. The state has constitutional provisions uh, providing for substantially equal voting power, substantially equal legislative representation. Uh, This Constitution has been around since 1776. For 246 years, the North Carolina Supreme Court never said that somehow partisan gerrymandering violates the state constitution. In 2019, the U.S. Supreme Court, in a case called Rucho versus Common Cause, held that partisan gerrymandering does not violate the federal constitution. Partisan gerrymandering is as old as our nation's history. In fact, the phrase gerrymandering <laughs> Jerry, came around. Right. Albert Jerry, who was the governor of Massachusetts at the time, later he was vice president, and he drew a congressional district that was shaped like a salamander. So they combined it to gerrymandering, and that's how the phrase survives. And what the Supreme Court is going to consider is whether or not this North Carolina ruling violates the elections clause of the U.S. Constitution, which is Article 1, Section 4, Clause 4. And that says, in pertinent part, the manner of holding elections for senators and representatives shall be prescribed in each state by the legislature thereof. And you were right. In the 2020 election, you had lots of state court judges, you had lots of federal court judges, you had executive branch officials that were changing the election laws unilaterally, uh, you know, in, in violation of the laws that had been adopted by the legislatures in those states, using the COVID-19 pandemic as an excuse 
for doing so. The Supreme Court considered taking up a case uh, in 2020 in which the Pennsylvania Supreme Court uh, again, deviated from Pennsylvania's uh, election laws and said that they had to count mail-in ballots for up to three days after the election. The court decided not to hear that case, but but Justices Thomas, Alito, and Gorsuch said that, in their opinion, that ruling likely violated the elections clause. And now, when we have a little bit of distance in the 2020 election, Donald Trump is somehow not involved in this case. The Supreme Court is going to finally take up one of these cases and give some much-needed uh, guidance to the lower courts. The left is going out there and saying, well, if legislators can do this, there's no recourse if a judge can't do anything about it. But that provision does say that Congress can do something about it. Congress can rewrite these laws if they believe uh, that a state legislature is somehow doing something improper, not state court judges. So we will see how the Supreme Court comes out on this one. It's going to be very interesting. Very interesting. Yeah, it would be interesting to take a look back and see uh, how it might have affected the uh 2020 election had that rule been in effect uh, uniformly. There's a similar case, uh, I think it's uh, uh, Merrill versus uh, Milligan, uh, about legislative uh, districts. Yeah, so this one violate this one uh, is a, it's going to be argued. It's the second day of the term. I think it's going to be argued on uh, on October the fourth. Uh, this is a redistricting case, and whether so, Alabama legislature drew. Uh, a, a congressional map in 2021 that had one uh, majority black district. There was it was challenged as violating Section Two of the Voting Rights Act, which generally prohibits voting practices or procedures that discriminate on the basis of race. And there's an unusual procedure where three judges meet as essentially a trial court under the Voting Rights Act. This three-judge panel threw out that map. Uh, and imposed a new one that had two majority black districts, claiming that the original map did indeed violate Section 2, uh, and the Supreme Court is going to take up that case. They, had, they issued a stay of that ruling, so this, uh, the, the map drawn up by the legislature is going to be used for the election that we're going to have uh, in a little over a month. But whether that map will continue to exist or whether the one that was devised by this three-judge panel will be implemented in future elections, that's what this case will determine. That'll be an interesting case because it's uh, hinged on a federal law. That's right. Right, as opposed to the constitutional provision that the other one is. All right, John, that's that's about all the time we have. I want to thank you for joining us today. It was certainly a pleasure to have you. We'll want to have you back as these cases work their way through uh, oral arguments and final rulings. I appreciate your time. God bless you. Thank you for all of your work on uh, our regard at the Heritage Foundation. And if anybody wants to get a hold of you or the Heritage Foundation, uh, what is the website that they can do so through? Oh, they can just go to heritage.org and they can plug in my name. I I, I occasionally write stuff and I I post it on Twitter. They can follow me at at Malcolm underscore John. And thank you for having me on the show. Certainly. And that would be a good place, that website, to make a possible donation if somebody would care to do so. That would be very nice. Very good. Thank you, John. Appreciate it. God bless you. Talk to you later. Bye-bye. We're going to take a short break now, and we will be right back after this. You're listening to Faith on Trial. Hi, this is Father P.J. McManus from Be Not Afraid, inviting you to join me along with Executive Director Matt Wilk for Iowa Catholic Radio's Footprints of God Pilgrimage to the Holy Land, scheduled for November 12th, 21st, 2023. We'll have Mass at St. Peter's House, take a boat ride on the Sea of Galilee, and enjoy a special dinner with the atmosphere of Not all pilgrimages are created equal. 
Don't miss Iowa Catholic Radio's 2023 Holy Land Pilgrimage, led by expert guide Stephen Janet Ray. Details at iowacatholicradio.com. Support for Iowa Catholic Radio provided by Knights of Columbus Borman and Pfeiffer Agencies, serving the Catholic families in Iowa. The Knights of Columbus is a fraternal benefit society providing financial security to members and their families, specializing in life insurance, long-term care insurance, disability income insurance, and retirement annuities. And you can reach Knights of Columbus Field Agent Rob Ryan at 563-689-6801. That's 563-689-6801. Thank you, and God bless. And we're back. You're listening to Faith on Trial on Iowa Catholic Radio. Uh, Gina, that was a very interesting uh, di- discussion we had with John Malcolm. Oh, yeah, he really knows his stuff. And, of course, the Heritage Foundation is well-versed in uh, all of the That is material. the place we go to for our experts on a lot of things. Yeah, their yeah. website is very inclusive of all kinds of judicial and policy-making mm-hmm. materials. Um, wh- how interesting, though, that the Supreme Court—this will be an interesting session— Oh, it certainly will be. Yeah. John says it's not going to be as interesting as last session, but I have a feeling it, it might be. It will be. And the, the makeup of the court is the same. We replaced one liberal judge with another, and so it's still 6-3. <laughs> for now. For now. Yeah, <laughs> we'll for see. now. We'll see. Okay. Um, Joe Biden is still president for the next two years. So. Yeah. <laughs> Don't remind me. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, and then... Uh, these are the kinds of shows I really, really enjoy where we get kind of a summary of what's in the air and as the Supreme Court comes back into session, what kinds of cases will be wrapped up. And um, uh, if you enjoy listening to these kinds of programming, uh, I want to remind our listeners that next week starts our carathon. And uh, the station manager has told me that the, the contribution links are open on the website and you could uh, – uh, we would take your contribution right. donation today. Right. The a number, if you want to uh, make a contribution for our fall carathon, is 515-223-1150. And you can contact us, too, through uh, iowacatholicradio.com. We kind of hit the donate button if you want to donate. And then we have an app uh, that you can donate through the app, too. So. That'll be next week. So stay we'll tuned next week to hear all kinds of interesting things about uh, you'll hear what the stations phone up to. number enough times next week that you will <laughs> remember it in your dreams. That's about <laughs> That's it. True. Let's uh, end with our defender's prayer now. St. Michael the Archangel, defend us in battle. Be our protection against the wickedness and snares of the devil. May God rebuke him, we humbly pray. And do thou, Prince of the Heavenly Host, by the power of God, thrust into hell Satan and all the evil spirits who uh, prowl about the world, seeking the ruin of souls. Amen. St. Michael, it's his feast day today. Pray for us. Till next week, we will see you. Have a blessed and peaceful week. Our freedom of conscience and religion is being challenged by laws and regulations imposed by secular society. Faith on Trial with Defender of the Faith, Deacon Mike Mano. Faith on Trial on Iowa Catholic Radio, iowacatholicradio.com, and the Iowa Catholic Radio app.